Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 110 of VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app right now so you don't miss any of the big-name guests I've got lined up for you with new VRP Rocks episodes dropping every single Monday. Now, on today's episode, I've got a really interesting chat with Malcolm Bruce, son of legendary former Cream bass player Jack Bruce. Now, Malcolm is a musician in his own right, having worked, recorded and toured with people like Elton John, Eric Clapton, Joe Satriani, Bill Ward and Ozzy Osbourne, Leslie West, Little Richard and so many, many more. As well as that, he's always kept the work of his father alive, touring with Ginger Baker's son Kofi across the UK, US, Australia and New Zealand with the music of Cream, which featured loads of special guests, including the likes of Glenn Hughes. Now, he's currently working on a new album to be released in 2024 called Fake Humans and Real Dolls, but the reason I've got him on today is to talk about a new record that came out called Heavenly Cream. It's an acoustic tribute to the band, but it features performances from even more legends like... Paul Rogers, Joe Bonamassa, Bernie Marsden, and Ginger Baker himself. In fact, it was Ginger's last recordings before he passed away. There's a few that contributed to the record that are no longer with us, such as Bernie Marsden, sadly, which makes the record even more poignant. Now, Malcolm is a warm storyteller, fun and engaging, so I know you're really going to enjoy this one. You're going to hear about the recording studios, 99% of which took place at the Abbey Road Studios. Yes, the famous Abbey Road Studios. Uh, Malcolm was involved in pretty much all of them as well. You're going to hear stories from those sessions with likes of Joe Bonamassa and Ginger Baker and others. You'll hear how the idea came about, all about the documentary that was filmed during the making of this. Of course, we chat about the legacy of Cream, his father's relationship with Ginger Baker. There's some Eric Clapton chat. We hear about Cream's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, the reunion shows, and a bit about Malcolm. Malcolm's new record too. So here we go. Please enjoy this fascinating chat with Malcolm Bruce. I'm delighted to be joined on VRP Rocks by the wonderful, the man himself, Malcolm Bruce. Hi, Malcolm. How are you? Hello, Paul. That's a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> no um, problem at all. I hope you don't mind the um, the uh, protective eyewear. Just uh, I hope you don't mind that anyway. No, no, that's absolutely fine. Those br- those bright lights look look uh, dazzling. So you go ahead and wear those those shades. Don't you worry. Uh, now the reason we've got you on is not to talk about uh, eyewear, it, uh, although oh, we no. could do. It's up to you. <laughs> it's to talk about the the new album, Heavenly Cream, and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful album. You've got so many amazing people on it as well, and it's got such a a story to it because it's not something that's been put together in in five minutes. I mean, there's so much behind it. There's a documentary that's been filmed. It started was it four or five years ago. We've we've yeah. lost some incredible musicians and people have worked on this record as well so let's go back to the beginning and, and talk about pete brown who was obviously the the primary lyricist with with your dad's band uh, cream um, it was his idea to get this project off the ground wasn't it so take us right back to those days 
Yes, uh, 2017, Pete was talking to Quarter Valley Records about another project, um, which is his documentary. It's called uh, White Rooms and Imaginary Westerns. That still hasn't seen the light of day, but that is uh, actually directed by the same person that directed the Heavenly Cream documentary, a guy called Mark Waters. So he was talking to the label about that project. And then I think this idea just came up and they started discussing, uh, what if we do? Uh a cream tribute record uh but an acoustic cream tribute record rather than with uh wailing guitars let's kind of strip it down and have a, a slightly different fresher approach or a different kind of perspective on the songs and so they cut a deal and then uh pete came to me got me involved um got rob cass involved who is the producer of the record and then just we we started reaching out to people um people that we knew initially you know who do we know uh it's this is the way of, of these things i think yeah. you kind of it's an organic thing and i think that's i think that comes across on the record to some degree that we were there's a story there you know and as you said uh goes back five years but it really goes back to the dawn of time you know <laughs> it goes back 60 years really to yeah. uh, and longer well it's kind of 60 years because well, my, or 62 years now. I mean, my dad arrived in London and was kind of championed by Ginger Baker and Dick Hextel Smith and all of those guys right back at the beginning of all of their careers with um, the Alexis Corner, Alexis Corner's Blues Incorporated and then the Graham Bond organization and and um, all the other bands that were, that were there at that time, John Mayles Blues Breakers and... Um, Cyril Davis on the harmonica and so that kind of birth of the British R&B what was called R&B in those days and that's kind of what gave birth to Cream it gave birth to my dad's career Ginger and Eric on a slightly different path going through the John Mayle thing and being a blues musician a pure blues musician and my dad and Ginger kind of doing the jazz thing and um my dad's classical training as well so all kind of all that coagulated into this thing called cream and i guess so that's where it goes back to it's sort of uh it, it, and everybody that got involved has some kind of connection to that legacy which we all share you know i kind of tend to see things as one whole that's my experience of it subjectively it's like this whole kind of amorphous substance that we're all sharing in and then we kind of say no i'm malcolm and no i'm paul and <laughs> cream were cream but the rolling stones were there and actually they all were sort of the same thing really i mean charlie watts was in alexis corner's band before ginger became the drummer and so they all shared that musical experience and then kind of had their own bands whatever so so yes in a long-winded sort of way um everybody on the record makes made sense you know we ended up getting you know the amazing deborah bonham who yeah um i actually spoke with her a few days ago we did a podcast together to talk about this record and she said that her brother john when she was a kid and growing up john would play her cream records you know so john was you know that's the kind of thing it's like when she was a young kid her brother was sort of turning her on to this music so it's sort of been part of her life i guess um all of our lives so there you go <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, uh, Jack Bruce his, his name is legendary, synonymous with 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 Cream and everything like that. But obviously, as his son, um, did he speak about his time in Cream much? I mean, I'm not, I know he's not going to sit you down and say this this happened and this happened. But throughout his life, was it something that he that he brought up on on many occasions? Did you ask him questions about what it was like being in the band at the time and things like that? Was he open about his time in the band? Yeah, I mean, we'd have conversations about all, all different kinds of things. Um, I think. It had such a huge impact on all three of those guys um that you know i'm not sure i mean i don't want to i don't want to say anything negative but really with eric i mean eric who's had the most commercial success and you know but all three of them had stellar careers yeah. before and beyond cream and did so many different things i mean i always think of ginger as almost kind of giving birth or playing a major part in giving birth to what's now termed world music because of his collaborations with African musicians and and Eric obviously has had this huge commercial success as a kind of pop star in the past but as a you know um legit sort of blues hero you know the the top guy really you know um and my dad 
did something maybe a little bit more exploratory and cross different genres and whatever. But I think Cream, when it comes down to it, though that little window of time was the most important thing for all three of them. I think it, his history will bear that out, you know. Um, so there you go. <laughs> I don't know. I think with my dad, it was just part of our lives, whether it was he he was fighting against it or going with it, you know, because there was all of that stuff of like, um, I actually remember I was at, he did a gig in Germany and I helped him in the background. He was in the mid eighties and he was just kind of grappling like a lot of people at that time coming to terms with the new music technology. So like synthesizers and, and step sequences and all these kinds of things so he did he put this incredible show together with all this kind of electronica uh equipment and it was all really new and really exciting and then it, in, in this big room with like five thousand people a, a gig in germany somewhere i can't remember where but there was a guy that shouted out you know play sunshine of your love <laughs> and my dad sort of ended up having this kind of argument not argument but he's like no i'm doing listen i'm doing new music so I kind of, but then he also embraced that as well. So, so it was, it was like, well, I, I wrote that song and people love that song. So I'm also going to really, really feel, I'm going to feel wonderful about that. So, so yes, I could, <laughs> how many hours have you got to talk about <laughs> the kinds of conversations that we had or whatever, you know, it's just, yeah, it was, it was a very important thing to him, but at the same, as, as a writer, and as a musician, and I feel I've said this and I get into trouble, but I, th I think he's underrated in the sense that what he brought, even just as a songwriter in that band for that short amount of time, I think it's incredibly important songs, you know, um, that have stood the test of time um, and touched on something that maybe has never been touched on before or since, you know, in terms of composition and how that's brought to bear on a pop, on a three minute pop song. Um, and just, you know, an amalgamation, a synthesis, a fusion, or a fusion <laughs> of a kind of lot of disparate musical genres. It's not this pure thing, although it does appear as this pure thing, but it's got all these different elements. I hear Scottish folk music. I hear the blues. I hear jazz. I hear the classical, yeah. Western classical tradition. And then this whole rock thing that was emerging at the same time as well. So, you know, I think there's just so many different things there. It was incredibly important at the time, and I think it could still be. I don't know. It's hard <laughs> I think to it tell. very much still is. Yes, you still hear it on the radio. We don't need, let's, let's ask Chat GPT. Is Cream <laughs> important? Well, Cream were a rock band from ninety. No, I don't know what it would say. <laughs> I'd say I'd, I'd say they were incredibly important. And just on the topic of songs, when it comes to Heavenly Cream, then obviously you've got wealth of material to choose from. How did you go about um, selecting which tracks to to include on this album? Well, that was mostly Pete, Pete Brown and Rob Cass, uh, with a little bit of input from a few of us. You know, Bernie Marsden came on very, came in very early, um, great supporter of the project. And, um, um, so yeah, I think it was just again, a sort of organic process one, uh, as the artists came in and we secured the artists. Um, and, um, we not we ne obviously needed the big important songs that are the best known, you know, even yeah. Crossroads or um, Sunshine of Your Love, White Room, I Feel Free, Deserted Cities of the Heart. So those were obvious songs that we had to have. And then I think once we secured Bobby Rush, we started thinking, oh, well, Bobby, this guy that's kind of part of the invention of the blues tradition, let's ask him to do a, a classic blues song, you know, in which he he did wonderfully, a couple of them. So. So it kind of just fell into place, really. And I think we were offering artists a choice of between a few songs. And then as we started filling it all up, we would offer them less. <laughs> right. You've got one song to choose from. <laughs> would you like to do this song or would you like to do the same song? <laughs> well, all right, I'll do that song then. <laughs> so I think, it, you know, it's just the nature of um, I've only had done something similar to this once before, which was, um, well, a couple of different things, but but actually the year before we started working on this project, me and Pete Brown um, put a tribute to my dad together at Shepherd's Bush Empire. And we did a similar process of spending nine months 
securing artists and then me transcribing and writing arrangements and then sort of selecting songs for people and uh and that was a similar kind of process you know we had lulu was our big star she was and she's amazing um so obviously we had to say hey lou would, would it would you like to do the the big song sunshine of your love and she said yeah great and she she killed it it was incredible um and so then you go from there okay lulu terry reed paul young <laughs> this this person is and who's at the bottom of it? I mean, it sort of is a little bit hierarchical, although the show isn't. When you put the show on, everyone's an equal. But in terms of choosing material, you kind of have to designate to some degree, you know, we want the big star with the big song. So with this record, um, we had Sunshine of Your Love with Ginger Baker on the drums and Joe Bonamassa singing it and playing guitar. So that made sense, really. Um, because Joe's the pinnacle of his career and Ginger was the original guy. And uh, so put those guys together. So there you go. <laughs> That's <laughs> a little bit like a, a puzzle, putting a puzzle piece together or something. And just mentioning Ginger there, I mean, I think this was his last recordings, wasn't it, before he passed away? And and not, not just him. I mean, you talk about Pete Brown and, and Bernie Marsden and, and Pee Wee Ellis. We've lost a lot of people that have worked on this record before it's come out. And it yeah. kind of almost adds to the, I don't know, the vibrancy of, of the, the name as well, Heavenly Cream, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I think that's, we have the record company to thank for that choice. Uh, Mo Foster as well, actually, he passed away yeah. so, and he's he's on this record as well. So um yeah it is interesting that that whole thing of people dying you know i don't really understand it at all i probably never will until i'm at that moment <laughs> but i yeah i just for this particular project it is kind of poignant and and it is quite moving when i hear those things uh you know ginger at the end of his career but still and and with his health failing he wasn't in the best of health at all and he came in on two separate days. Uh, the second one was Joe Bonamassa. The first one was Nathan James and um, and Pee Wee and um, and a bunch of us. And um, and I noticed a marked difference in his health from between those two days, which were a few months apart. Um, he was a lot weaker, but in terms of his musicianship and what he contributed, it's just so incredible. <laughs> you know what he did. It's just uh, so unique. His um, the way he approaches playing so i think we were really blessed with that and um and you know so so that's it you know that was his last recording uh but it wasn't like well it's not very good it's like one of the best things i've ever heard a drummer do you know so uh, and it wasn't about strength or anything like that it was about choice musical choices in each moment and um where he places how he plays the hi-hat and how that syncopates across the other phrases and the other melody that, that he's playing and it's just it's just astounding really you know so there you go i i think um i agree you know it's a strange it's a strange thing to listen to people perform on a record when they're not here anymore you know mm, yeah. and um and you know bernie marsden who i met about 10 years ago i didn't really get to know bernie until then uh but he was always such a nice person you know just such a um down-to-earth bloke you know <laughs> but super talented and but always encouraging um younger musicians and um a team player and contributing so much so so yeah it's kind of weird that he's not where are you bernie I hope you're you're in heaven. That's it, heavenly cream. So there you go. <laughs> that's it. That's it indeed. And and something else to touch on. You obviously mentioned Ginger in the same room as Joan Bonamassa. We've had Joe on the show a couple of weeks ago as well. I mean, oh, great. that's that's something else to touch on. The fact that this record was recorded in person because I've spoke to other people and other artists that have put together records with different people involved, and they all record in their home studios or studios close to them, and they they send it over yes. the internet. Whereas this one was actually in Abbey Road Studios as well, and the people yes. were in the same room together. It's just it's the best way to do it it for this kind of music it absolutely is it's sort of the only way to do it and to capture that spontaneity and the you know th you're listening to the other musicians and you're kind of you know you're playing the instrument and you're you're kind of okay i'm going to tighten up in this next bar because that last bar felt a little bit okay i need to you're in each moment there's a you're not overthinking but there's a kind of felt 
dialogue in a physical sense yeah. and in an or, audible sense. And so you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's the only way to do it. Of course, we once you cat once you go get a, a take, once you get a basic take with this kind of music. So with Ginger and Joe, you know, Ginger is a two, two, three takes maybe, but you're not going to get more out of him than that. You're just going to get probably the first take or the second take. So once we got something we were all really happy with, then we do fix things. You know, yeah. I kind of, when I was playing the bass, I, I think I fixed a couple of phrases or whatever that I wasn't happy with or a bit loose or whatever. And lead vocals can be done again or guitar solos can be overdubbed and things like that. But yes, the basic premise of um capturing a bunch of musicians together in a room with some mics and abbey road yeah abbey road has the it's the hallowed yes. hall of music or something it does have that sense of it, it uh, you walk into that place and you sit down and you it makes you want to play better you know because you've got the ghost of john lennon yeah. looking over you going oi make sure it's good <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and in terms of um the recording sessions were you there for all of them yes i was apart from i believe and it's something i should check with rob cass uh again but i believe the only remote recording was paul rogers vocal so i think everything else was captured it together and we did yeah. some very early sessions at um sensible music which is a studio um down in uh, central London, uh, which is run by Jeff Allen, the drummer. Uh, so we did a couple of se early sessions there, but then the rest of it was done at Abbey Road. Um, and I believe, I mean, I remember I was, we'd, I was kind of hanging out after we'd done those tracks with Joe Bonamassa and I was kind of hanging out watching him work on a guitar solo and, um, and he did something really interesting with a box or like, he's like, yeah, I know this is acoustic, but you know, I'm going to do something because he's, he's, well, you've, you've spoken to, you know, he's kind of got this absolute, almost like OCD fascination with sound, you know, some, some musicians, and, and I mean that in a good way, I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, for me, like I put the guitar on and I get a nice sound and then I play um but i don't have the budget <laughs> okay i'm gonna pick from my 465 les pauls this particular one has a certain resonance if i plug it in using this cable into this amplifier from 1957 and I use this pick you know and it's, <laughs> so that's joe and i think and it's a, a form of genius you know in that yeah. sense that he can he makes those kinds of choices and and in abbey road we were i remember he was working on his solo and he was doing something. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I think he was, it was a acoustic guitar, putting a mic in something, plugging it into an amp or something. So it was kind of, it was acoustic, but it wasn't acoustic. So he was like trying to circum circumvent the concept of it only being acoustic to sort of boost his guitar, his guitar solo sound. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was all, I think I was at every session apart from Paul's vocal. And that must be must be fun because rather than being in in the studio with um, a set band, whether it's the same two, three, four, five, six, seven, however many people are in your band, uh, every every time you go in there and you've got like you said, Deborah Bonham's there one time, and then you go in there and and Joe Bonamass is there one time, and then Bernie's there one time, and you and it must be such a nice feeling. The energy must be different each time with the different people involved, and they're all playing the songs that they love and they've they've grown up listening to. So that energy and the feeling within the studio must have been must have been wonderful for you, especially. Yeah, it was really, it was a really special thing, I think, um, because of my connection, my dad, my family, you know, my mum, Janet, um, her maiden name's Godfrey, so she co-wrote two songs for Korean. She wrote Sleepy Time Time and Sweet Wine, so we did Sweet Wine with Ginger. Um, so uh, it's nice, like, my mum gets a credit, which is great, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of a family thing, and it fans out that all these people... You know, I remember the first time that I met Bernie, Rob Cass, who produced uh, a number of Bernie's own records, um, brought him in to play on my dad's final record, Silver Rails, which was also recorded at Abbey Road. So that was kind of the first time I hung out with Bernie, and he was in the control room, kind of with this massive grin, kind of playing on my dad's record. And it was like, oh, okay. And he just brought this, like, incredibly positive 
vibe into the studio, you know, and he wasn't like whittling and all clever. And it was just Bernie just with his guitar. It was just this gorgeous thing. And I think, you know, that the love that Bernie had for, for the contribution in each moment, you know, just a great, great person. Um, and I think, yes, all of those people, uh, Bobby Rush came in. It was great. You know, he flew straight in from the airport to the studio and, and sang two songs with us and sort of led the sessions, uh, with his energy, you know, um, and this is a guy that's kind of hitting his nineties or whatever, you know, it's just, um, amazing. And he, he was such an, such a gregarious, you know, um, generous person with his, with who he was and just yeah. being nice to us all. He'd never, I'd never met him before, but you know, he, um, so yeah, every, every one of those experiences was special. I think everybody was there for the right reasons. Um, and, uh, we got a good result because of that, I think. And yes, when you've, you're with the same people, you're basically like living with the same people in a, in a bus or you're, constantly working with them you can sort of start it becomes a bit of a love-hate thing maybe <laughs> like it can do that's the weird thing about yeah. the chemistry and bands and um all of those things you know yes. uh, and i yeah. think that's i mean cream themselves obviously they for people that understand their history there's that relationship between my father and ginger that you know i think ginger fired my dad from the grand bond organization at knife point famously (laughs) (laughs) but then but then they got back together for creams and they didn't kill each other even then so (laughs) and how was the relationship in later years with with your dad and and ginger did it ever fully recover did they were they ever best friends were they was it just acquaintances I i don't think anybody really understands that whole thing um maybe eric would have more of an under an insight because he was close to them Mm-hmm. at those times but no i mean i saw them together uh getting on fine and i saw them together not speaking and i saw them you know and i kind of uh, because i know his uh, ginger son kofi i've kind of got a i've also got another perspective um and i think ginger was a, a, a like my dad they were layered people with stuff going on uh addiction uh creativity personal s- stuff you know um like we all do you know this is a journey life is a journey um and when you become a famous person in the public eye um you know they have people they i you know you can hire someone to tell you how to present yourself because you might not want to show those aspects to the self um and but those guys were from a different time and maybe they didn't get the right publicist you know no maybe you shouldn't say that (laughs) whatever it is i don't know so uh so uh i guess they i i guess we can respect them for that for their kind of authenticity even if it's a dysfunctional display of dysfunction on whatever level there would there was always an honesty with ginger but also there were different kind kinds of people with ginger there was a really lovely person side to ginger and then there was this gruff um not very nice person that he would display depending on the situation and i saw my i saw that within my dad too you know he was a you know very intelligent um aware person but he had these he could be a terror if depending on the situation you know but he could also be the most lovely kind person as well so you know um, we're all human we're all human we are well right now we are but my <laughs> next record is about ai so i don't know where how long we're all going to remain human if certain people have something to do with it i don't know very true very true i've got a note to ask you about that but before we get oh. that far um you mentioned eric there obviously ginger played on this record and and you were there for, for your father was eric asked to contribute at all i think Pete Brown approached him um and eric passed on this record but we did um finished pete brown's solo record which is called the shadow club we did that at the beginning of this year um with richard bailey on drums um i think joe bonamassa's um i haven't heard the mixes but i think joe is also on the record bernie marsden's on the record and i believe that's his final um recording um but eric agreed to play on that so eric is on the title track the shadow club on that record so all i can think 
and I've I'm always careful to say this. I do not want to speak for Eric Clapton, <laughs> but all I can think is that Eric um passed on doing a tribute to himself, but was happy to play on an original song for Pete, um, which he did. And it's gorgeous what um what Eric did. It's a lovely, lovely thing. Uh it's just beautiful, I think. Um what he played on that record. So yeah, that's another thing that people can look forward to hearing. Hopefully next year, I think it's going to be out. Yeah. And uh, something I always ask people that bring out records and it kind of puts people on the spot as well, but what's your favorite track on this new recording? <laughs> I have been asked that a couple of times and I have no, I don't know. They're all so different. I mean, I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about Cream, but you could say that also about the Beatles or a lot of those bands from that kind of classic rock era. They, they, their music is quite eclectic and diverse. And so um if I'm in the mood to hear a blues song, I'd 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 recommend uh Spoonful or Sitting on Top of the World or Born Under a Bad Sign that Paul Rogers does a version of on this record. Um but I love I've I feel free because it's I can hear it as a little sort of nod to Motown and James Jameson mm. and all of that, which obviously had an influence on my dad. Um, and probably everybody at the time, you know, because that was the pop music of the time or the, from the preceding few years leading up to the formation of Cream. Um, Sweet Wine and that I already mentioned because my mum co-wrote it with Ginger. So it, I always like to big up my mum. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think each one is so different. And, and I think it's important to note that we're not, it's not a traditional tribute record. It, it, I think what we've achieved to whatever degree is shining a fresh light on the material and not going, okay, some, who can we get to play a guitar solo that sounds like Eric, yes. you know, because that there's no point in doing that. We have the original recordings, uh, whether live or in the studio from almost 60 years ago now, which are just incredible. Um, it's an incredible document of the time, but also of the innovation of that band. And uh, there would be it's sort of pointless to redo that, you know, because um, because Eric and Jack and Ginger were just so incredible. And uh, they were kids and they sort of made it up as they went along and they created something incredible. So I think we're sort of reflecting. We're basking in the glory um, in that sense. You know, we're we're going, OK, let's strip it down and let's have the beautiful voice of Deborah Bonham singing, uh, not raunchy, not, not that kind of incredible thing that she can do with her voice, but let's pull her back. Let's get her to just, just sit on, on the melody and, and sing it. And, and I think that's really interesting. It's like giving everybody an opportunity to do something that maybe we wouldn't normally do uh, with music. We wouldn't normally do in this way. So uh, my very long-winded answer to your question is I have no <laughs> I idea know. which is my favorite <laughs> song. They're all That's fair enough. just, they've, I think people have to make, uh, hopefully it works as a kind of body of work. It's a, it's a record that people can, you know, oh, what a novel thought, a record that people can listen to from beginning to end <laughs> without going click after 20 seconds. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, something we mentioned pretty early on as well was it was the documentary that was being filmed um, around all the recording sessions and things like that. I mean, what's what's the deal with that? Are we is that out? Is that coming out soon? What, what's happening? Well, it's out in America on Sunstream. I believe it's Sunstream.com or anyway, it's Sunstream, which is a streaming service. Um, and I'm not sure about the UK and Europe and the rest of the world. Um, I believe Mark Waters is working with the record label to get some kind of release. I'm surprised it's not out already. Mm -hmm and available yeah. um it's definitely very complimentary to the album itself you know it's got i mean as we said earlier you know it's got all these guys that are no longer with us being interviewed and and we're and we're actually in the studio tracking and and that's being filmed and all of that so you know it is really special um although i'm taking the johnny depp approach to uh not ever looking at myself after i've done the fil the filming <laughs> you know it's a bit strange when you're not in control of it <laughs> sorry i'm going to sound really narcissistic now but if you're not the producer of the record and you're not but you're not doing the edit on the documentary i kind of kind of start going no no 
you got my wrong angle. You got the wrong side of my face there. Can you just cut that and cut? You know, so you kind of have to let go and uh, let it be what it is. But um, but anyway, it's great. And Mark's an amazing filmmaker. So I hope it gets a release over here yeah, because I'm sure lots of people would like to see it. Yeah, absolutely. For all the reasons you mentioned. Um, just quickly touching on Cream and, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well. I mean, it was um, one of the early bands to be inducted, which does show their, their importance to, to, to rock and, and everything that music became. I mean, what do you remember of, of that night and that, that whole ceremony? Oh, 1993. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I was in LA in a band. Um, so my dad invited me to come down. Um, I mostly remember sitting next to Naomi Campbell all night. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's pretty much kind of trying not. I remember I was sitting here and she was sitting next to me and Eric was sitting next to her and Ginger was here. My dad was here, something like that. And so I was literally sitting next to Naomi in 1993, you know, and I'm like trying not who's Eric's date. Sorry, Eric, if you ever hear this, but you that's true. And she was stunning. You know, she still is stunning. So um, so that's kind of all I remember, really. No, I'm kidding. I remember uh, ZZ Top gave actually gave them the award on stage. Uh, so they came and said hello afterwards at our table. So I got to hang out with those guys a little bit. They were lovely. Um, George Clinton was there. Uh, so I got to meet him. Uh, Lenny Kravitz. There were just tons of different people there. It was one of those kind of crazy nights where you meet all these people and you go, wow, you're shorter than I imagined. Or whatever. <laughs> Wait a minute, you just look so huge on the screen, man. And then you're like, but you're only four foot eleven. Okay. All right. Noted, duly noted. So uh yeah, it was kind of one of those crazy things where you uh you just sort of soak it all in. Um it was really wonderful. And they played a couple of songs. So that I think that was the first time the three of them had played together since the band had um finished. Um, I believe that was the only time. I mean, I think my dad and Eric had done some stuff and um, Ginger and Eric, I would imagine, have done plenty. Well, obviously in bands, subsequently, <laughs> but Blind Faith, etc. But um, yeah, they played. It was amazing. Um, and I was really proud of my dad. Uh, and I've, I kind of stayed in touch with the guys at the Rock Hall of Fame. So I go whenever I'm in Cleveland, I'll go and oh, sort of uh, have a little wander around if I'm doing a, a gig there or something I'll, on a day off. Um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm really proud of, um, you know, whenever my dad kind of gets that recognition, I think it's really important in terms of the history. Um, although when you go to the Rock Hall of Fame and you see the plaque with my dad, Eric and Ginger's signatures, Eric's got two signatures <laughs> because he's been in inducted twice <laughs> or maybe even three times. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. It might even be three times right now. I don't know. Certainly as a solo artist and in Yardbirds. Maybe yeah. Yardbirds as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he might even get inducted like by the end of it four or five times. I mean, there's plenty of other bands that he was in. Sure. John Mayle. Has he been yeah. inducted yet? No idea. Lose track. We'll lose track. Be. What was your dad's feeling around that then? Obviously, because like you said, it was a long time since the three of them have played together, and they are a, a monumental band. And it was something that everyone was so looking forward to seeing the three of them on stage again, playing these songs that everyone loved. So, can you remember what your dad's thoughts, thoughts, and feelings were in the lead up to that? Yeah, I mean, look, my dad was a complicated person, uh, as I, as I've already mentioned, um, and I think. It's hard for us to understand. I mean, we're all, us musicians are always like, we want to be famous, but it's not necessarily about being famous. It's more like making a good living and being able to continue our creative work. And I think that, you know, if I was 22 years old or 23 years old and I became the most famous, even if it was just for that short amount of time, Cream became the most famous band in the world for that short amount of time, which propelled Eric to this stellar career and to all three of them. But um, but obviously Eric played the commercial game in a way that my dad didn't. You know, my dad was a more kind of explorative 
musician that went you know went into the jazz world and all kinds of different things and he wasn't writing he didn't get the producer that would kind of guide him to write pop songs and and kind of have that sort of career maybe that's a maybe that was natural anyway he wasn't really built for that whereas eric was built for that who knows um but there, but there was always a little part of my dad that wanted to be the pop star the rock star you know so even when he was doing you know much more kind of creative type work though in the back of his mind he always wanted that and i think he always wanted the cream to kind of come back together because because why not you know that he knew that they would always get the level of attention that um is that kind of top tier level of attention and um and i think that eric resisted it um because I don't think he wanted to do that really. And then I think because my dad, um, he, he got liver cancer. And so he had a transplant and he almost died. Uh, we were all kind of standing around him in the hospital that with the, with the doctor saying he's not going to come back from this. And then he did miraculously turn it around. Um, and I think because of that, it sort of stirred something in eric i would imagine that like if we go if this is going to happen maybe we should yeah. do it sooner rather than later because we people are starting to get to that point in their lives where they might not live for that much longer my dad did live for 11 years after his transplant which is pretty amazing um as these things go but i think and you know, my my stepmom margaret probably had a lot to do with that just kind of approaching eric and saying hey look you know maybe if we're going to do this we should do it sort of kind of now um and I, that seemed to be what happened uh to make the cream reunion happen in 2004 2005 so you know it's um so there you go so yeah i think uh my dad always wanted to be the rock star but he also wanted to be stravinsky and he also wanted to be uh Thelonious Monk, and he also wanted to be Charlie Mingus. So there you go. it's a quite kind of a com complicated, uh, you know, variable strands of uh, creativity to sort of pull together. Uh, and I'm fortunately, I've or fortunately, I've inherited a similar complex complexity in my head so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i know we're, we're, we're touching on your dad again i'm sorry you probably get sick of talking about things like this but almost those those reunion shows was 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 that almost like closure for him then in a way that was that was like he, he'd done that he'd, he'd probably thought for years it'd be nice to do it again finally got to do it again and then he thought that was that that made eyes closure for the for the band and for him I think it gave him a, an immense sense of satisfaction to do it, but I don't. I, but I think if they could have carried on doing it, they were getting offers apparently um, okay. after the, after the Albert Hall in London and then the Garden in New York. You know, after those shows, they were getting some big offers, I believe, like Tokyo. You could imagine, yeah, and LA and whatever. But I was there on the last night at Madison Square Garden and ginger and my dad had somehow managed to fall out again. <laughs> so, and i think at that point eric probably went ah you know moving on um so i you know i i think my dad if it had been possible i think my dad would have liked to have done more shows and maybe even done some new re record or something because they was they had something magical between the three of them and and that it even though they were many years later getting back together that there was and and they were different people you know they weren't these kids uh you know taking getting stoned and jamming out and all of that kind of stuff that people were doing in the mid 60s but they were at different stages of their lives but the the magic was still there the creativity was still there and um and you could and that was evident from the the moment they stepped out on stage together at at the Albert Hall, that first show that they did, it was, we were all, you know, it's this sort of silence and this kind of sacred moment, the cream have got back together. And it was, it was, it was beautiful and they sounded amazing. So I think just from that pure authentic perspective, I think my dad would have liked to have done more, but it just didn't work out because of, uh, you know, whatever was going on between my dad and ginger i don't know i don't understand it for god's sake they're offering you 1264 million dollars a second can't you just hug each other i don't know i mean 
maybe one day somebody will know why, but I think it's just sibling stuff, you know. It, I think they were just so close and they had this and I, you know, I have a friendship with Ginger's son Kofi uh, Kofi Baker who I've mentioned and he's an amazing drummer himself. But we've also had ups and downs in our relationship. So maybe it's a Baker Bruce genetic <laughs> Uh, spiritual, yes. you know, going through the successive incarnations from throughout beyond time and space. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> I quite like the idea you said the, the sibling thing because that probably does that's that sums it up perfectly, doesn't it? When you're together from from quite young and, and quite a, oh, an Lennon and Maca- period of time, yeah. Lennon and McCartney. Um, you know, I, I actually my dad made a record with um, the amazing Dennis Chambers on drums and Andy Summers from the Police, and and yeah. I hung out with Andy and my dad for about a week in LA while they were doing that uh, over twenty years ago now, and they were kind of comparing notes as well. I mean, Andy and Sting and Stuart and all those guys, like, oh, I know you've got to speak to him later. <laughs> you know, there was, you know, they they haven't hidden the fact that there were all those kinds of dynamics going on between them and and you know, the Police are. A band that, you know, subsequent to Cream, you know, Cream paved the way for those bands in ter- in economic terms, you know, to clean up in a way that's, it's just on that, it's like what Cream achieved, and then Zeppelin, and then bands like The Police, it just kind of stepped, they s- sort of all stepped on each other in terms of like, how much money can we make? <laughs> and, uh, and then, and, and the kind of level of fame and the level of adulation. And um, so, yeah, I think... There's probably quite a few examples of that in in popular music, certainly, where people, you know, I guess musicians, drugs, women, money, fame, fame, (laughs) managers, which is a major thing. Um, I've just been in a court case against a manager for four years that I've won, but he still won't come forward and pay, you know? Um, so there's all of that kind of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with bands. And then you're supposed to go, hi, I've got a big smile and I feel great today, but you know, somebody's sort of stabbing you in the back while you're having to do that, you know? So, um, so yes, siblings, but I think probably all kinds of stuff, you know? Yes, yeah, absolutely, and uh, obviously you you've uh, forged your own path in the musical world as well. You've you've worked with some incredible people and released some brilliant albums. And and you mentioned a little earlier on in the in the conversation there, you've got a new album you're working on, an interesting title as well, "Fake Humans and and Real Dolls," I think it's called. So so yeah. let us know about the, what's going on with this record and and the idea behind it. Yeah, well, I'm in the middle of making the record. I've tracked um, quite a few songs. I'm still writing um, a lot at the moment. Um, so it's still coming together. I think it's going to be my first sort of proper statement as a, as a writer, um, as an artist to really get behind it and push it out there. Um, I think it's going to be good. Um, it's a kind of quite heavy sounding record, quite a rocking, you know, guitar based record. Um, it's not classic rock at all. It's something hopefully quite new. Um, and, and I think that's why it's taken me quite a long time because I don't, I think a lot of artists, they just kind of go, okay, it's time to make a record and they make a record and it's predictable and um, it might be brilliant, but it's just, I've, I've wanted to actually take the time to discover something to say musically as well as lyrically. Um, and I, you know, I feel that we're all sharing an incredible moment in history right now, just on this planet. Where are we, where are we heading? You know, we, mm-hmm. are we going to head into narcissism? and selfishness and low vibrational behaviors or are we going to are we going to sort of transmutate into a higher con- sense of consciousness you know whether that's w- within us as individuals or whether collectively you know what what is going on you know why are we still murdering each other in wars and why are we still manipulating each other through the media and and um what is this whole thing that, that we're living and why do we accept it when it doesn't have to be negative you know um there is a place within all of us that's unified rather than uh sees us and them scenarios we like all of that's so superficial to what's really important and so yes somehow i'm trying to say that in a record (laughs) it's not easy you know because uh it takes time to know how to say something that's not cliche or stereotypical um so yeah, I mean, in my own 
humble way i'm trying to put something together that has some kind of value um, to it, yeah you know um rather than just um cookie cutter um mentality that the industry tends to have um and i understand that it's a business but but it's also art you know <laughs> oh it's art i'm an artist and that's got an e on the end of it so they <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well Malcolm it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you we'd love to have you back on as well when when the new album does uh, finally get released and we get to hear it and oh that would be amazing Paul thank you so much yeah I'd love that I love that no worries yeah. at all and uh, yeah as we say Heavenly Cream it's out now you can buy it you can stream it you can listen to it download it whatever it is you do these days but definitely do give it a listen some fantastic artists are in, uh, involved in that as and as we said some that are no longer with us so it's definitely worth a listen uh, even if you're not the biggest fan of Cream it's just nice to, to listen to a musical artifact with these sorts of people are on it who are no longer with us and, and able to create music so it, it's a fantastic bit of bit of music to listen to thank you paul thank you so much there you go the brilliant malcolm bruce there always fascinating to hear stories like that definitely do check out the new record heavenly cream some great songs some brilliant musicians and singers involved and some great performances too give it a listen buy the physical copy if you're able to and also check out the documentary on it if it's available where you are i've not actually seen it yet i'm really keen to do so because it sounds like a fantastic watch but anyway that's it for me in this week's episode thanks again for listening make sure you subscribe to vrp rocks on your podcast app so you get all the episodes loads more great guests and brilliant stories to come over the next few weeks of course please leave vrp rocks a five-star review on the podcast app that you use it makes a really big difference it really does check out the vrp rocks youtube channel it's growing all the time nearly four million total views now it's incredible give us a like or follow on the uh, social media channels as well just search for vrp rocks pretty much everywhere and you'll find us all over the place a big thanks to you and everyone who interacts every week as well i love to hear from you so please do get in touch if you can so until next week then take care it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.